Together at the Table, the podcast from Integrity Music, where people around the world sit at their tables and talk about life in all its colors. Not to judge, but to love, share, listen, and learn. Whether you're rich or poor, we all sit at a table. And when we gather, everyone has a part to play in the conversation. So join us now as we share stories together at the table. Welcome to Together at the Table, where we gather to share stories and insights with extraordinary individuals. I'm your host, Andrew Phillips, and today we're excited to introduce you to Andrew Osanga. Andrew has a rich and celebrated history in the Christian music community as both a solo singer, songwriter, and singer-guitarist. He brings that valuable real-world experience to his current role as executive director of the Faithful Project. And Andrew leads the Modern Hymns multi-artist community, Anchor Hymns, whose heartbeat is to help people rediscover the beauty of the heart of Christ through the hymnal tradition. He lives in Nashville with his wife, their three daughters, and apparently a toy poodle named Pippa. That's correct. Andrew, it's lovely to have you with us on Together at the Table. Glad to be here, man. This um, podcast is based on a a scripture, just one scripture. Uh, which is Luke eleven thirty seven, And uh, after Jesus had spoken, a Pharisee said, I'd like you to come uh, to my place. Would you come? And that invitation was accepted, and Jesus went and reclined at that table. And it's that beautiful thought that Jesus comes to our tables. Hmm. I wonder if you could help us at the beginning of this uh, discussion we're going to have. Could you welcome Jesus to our table with a prayer? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, man. Father, thank you for the gift of this time and bless this conversation and give us wisdom and uh, protect us from our own worst impulses. <laughs> uh, with mine, that uh, you know what those are. And uh, it's a gift to be here and uh, to be alive. Thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The first question I like to ask, as it's table-centric, is kind of like, tell me about the table you work at. You know, tell me about the things that you do. You've mentioned Anchor Hymns and um, the Faithful Project. There's so many great things that you're involved in with integrity. But talk to me about your table, how you approach it, that table of work. Yeah. Um, I have the a real gift of being able to spend most of my time with uh, kind of brilliant creative people. And so um, some of my work is you know, is sort of office work and and making sure things are organized. I'm not great at that. <laughs> um, but really a lot of it is to find people who are creating songs for the church um, or uh, or creating other kind of work that serves the church and then coming alongside them and helping them really be able to understand their own story. Often they, you know, they may need help figuring out what that story is and then what's the best way to tell it um, through music, uh, or through the other platforms that they're uh, creating in. And so I get to kind of both guide the project from a, from a creative 
position. Um, and then I also get to just be a, a friend and a guide to those people as they're in that process. Um, because we all know like work that resonates with us is rarely safe work. It's work where people put their heart into it. They, they bear some part of themselves um, and they share some part of their real story. And so that comes with a lot of um, openness and uh, there's risk in that. And so a lot of my, my job is just to kind of be a guard and be a friend um, so that people are able to be courageous in that way. Mm. Um, and with the ultimate goal that believers, particularly churches, um, can be served by those by that work, whether that's resources or by just basking in the beauty of what they've created. Yeah. In the two projects I, I sort of uh, referenced, which is Faithful and Anchor Hymns, yeah. there's a lot of people involved. Yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how do you cope with that? And how do you bring it all together and keep Jesus at the center of that? Uh, well, you know, it's really, often I get to work with an artist, just it's this one person and they're making a record or it's a band and they're making a record. And that's really fun. You just, you you dig in for a, a long period of time. These things are more, um, they're insane, Andrew. Um, it's a lot of logistics, yeah. um, but it really is. It's like, it's fit, taking 50 people out to coffee and sharing a vision <laughs> and saying, I think that you might, really resonate with this. And I think there are other people that resonate with this. And then um, kind of curating a time together so that if you're going to go to all the expense and trouble of bringing 30, 40 songwriters together for two or three days, that that time is not frivolous um, or that it's not even um, just, just productive, but that it's something that's really worth their time. Um, like how do we care for each other as individuals? How do we create memories? How do we build friendships? Um, how do we do things that don't just serve the building of our businesses, but serve the kingdom? Hmm. Um, and that looks different with those two different communities because they're, they're different goals, different projects. Um, but in all of them, there is intentional time to be productive and there is intentional time to be productive for others or to be unproductive. Hmm. Um, and I don't feel like the productive time is ever as valuable without giving away other time. And, um, and it's really fun to get to think about how do we care for people in that space? Um, and then how do we create something that cares for the people who will encounter that work later on? Hmm. That's beautiful. In the Yanka hymns, I know hymns, people have this thing Thing about hymns, they mm -hmm. think that's old. It goes sure. way back, right? Sure. But what you've actually done is revived, and and these words now, these songs are as powerful as they ever were, weren't they? Well, you know what's fun is when you start talking about hymns, you realize that no one actually knows what that means. Yeah. Like if you talk to a hundred people, particularly hundred people who care about that idea, um, they're going to give you a hundred slightly different answers of what a hymn is. And often they'll go, I don't know. Hmm. You know, it ends up that, I guess it's like kind of an oldish sounding song that's kind of old, that's kind of, that's like about Jesus. It tends to be what the answer gets to at some point because um, there's not really a clear definition. You know, the, the, the word goes, like we have the translated word from from the, the Psalms, you know, and we're going to sing songs with, uh, we're going to praise the Lord with hymns, songs, and spiritual songs. Um, and uh, And so, that word means different things depending on your traditions. If you're Presbyterian, there's a very strict 
definition. Uh, but if you grew up in a black gospel church, it's a very different tradition, a very different definition of that same word. And so for us, it's more about um, sacred songs that meet, uh, that speak in the context of where we live right now. Okay. And because a lot of those songs that ha- we would traditionally think of as hymns were not always old, like they were new. And for the most part, they were radical. Um, they often in their time, yes. In their time, they tended to come from pubs or from places of work. I've they, heard this. I've they heard rarely they came to, from. They churches. used to listen to melodies, didn't they, in yeah. the pubs, and then convert re- them. Yeah. yeah, people knew the songs, so they'd rewrite the songs. Like it's essentially like if we if we wrote a song about Jesus to party in the USA, and then we all sang that. You know, like well, we all know how that song goes. Uh, and so these songs have this rich history of being from a context. They're from a time and place. But there's something about um, the experience of singing a song that is not from your generation that is so powerful. We sing a lot of songs that are written, like people are writing great songs all the time right now. They're writing beautiful songs. Um, But there's something about singing a song that my grandfather sang Hmm. that carries different weight. Um, One of the most interesting things for me is that I've had in my life, probably four or five different distinct theologies. So I was raised as a fundamentalist kid in a cornfield in Illinois, hellfire brimstone almost, you know, not quite, but almost. Um, And then I became a very sort of big box, evangelical, uh, non-denominational guy. And then I became a hardcore Presbyterian Calvinist. Now I'm an Anglican. There were a bunch of things in between, you know, like I've had a number of different ways of thinking about the Bible, about God. But in every one of those settings, we sang the same songs. Hmm. And there's something about um, the, the power of not just the words and not just the melody, but I think it's in the generational DNA that those songs were speaking to me of truth that often the theology of the church I was in maybe didn't communicate. And so I think a lot of my faith has been shaped by the songs that I sang more than by the teaching I received. And so when we talk about writing hymns, what we really mean is we want to write sacred songs for the context that we're in right now that we can pass down to our children and to their children. Uh, So it's not about having a hit on the radio. It's about, we literally are asking ourselves, can people sing the song at a wedding? Can they sing the song at a funeral? Those are the songs that really matter. And why would they do that? So we want them to be musically relevant. We want them to be to sound like music today. We don't want them to sound old-fashioned because how great thou art. Didn't always sound old-fashioned. Used to be a pop song. So we want to write songs that feel modern, but that carry the weight of generations. And can I ask how yeah. you find those hymns and choose them for the project? How, how does that happen? Man, it has been so fun, Andrew. Mm. Um, it has been really fun to figure that out. Um, one of the first things I did when we started this project is... Um, I went through this big collection of hymnals that I've amassed over the years. So for a long time before I worked at a record company, I was just a, an artist and a guitar player and traveled all, all around and started collecting hymn, hymnals from these different places just because that's cool. They're getting rid of them. Um, and so I have this huge stack in my house of, you know, here's the 1920s Baptist, the 1940s Methodist. I've got the, this African-American hymnal. I've got this one from, you know, Oxford in the 1860s. And like... And I, I, I spent a couple of weeks digging through probably 40 or 50 different hymnals. And what I wanted to do was look for what set them apart, you know, um, what was speaking just to that context of that moment. 
Um, and often those would be kind of radical theologies at times. Um, but then I started looking at like, what songs are in every one of these hymnals? And there's probably like 30 or 40 songs that are kind of in just about every one of them. And you, I don't even have to tell you what they are. We all know what they are. And I started, um, I started really looking at like, what makes those songs so unique and why do they work in so many different settings? And I felt that there were three characteristics I could pull away from them mm. lyrically. Musically, they all kind of work in a way that um, the melody implies the chord structure. And so um, often in modern music, we start with a chord structure and then we build melodies around it. These are very much, this is the melody and we work from that. And you can play tons of different chords under it because the melody is so strong. So there's a melodic thing that's really powerful, but that's not what makes it last for generations. Um, the things that I identified were there's a, a real honest awareness of suffering and doubt in every one of those songs. Mm. Um, there's also an awareness of joy and of celebration, um, but there's never joy and celebration without the suffering and doubt. And the honesty of that, I think, is really important. The second is there's a real awareness of time and place. Like we are only right here, right now. Right now, I'm only in this little black room talking to you, Andrew. I'm not 10 years ago. I'm not 10 years in the future, even though I'm constantly thinking about mistakes I made 10 years ago and worried about my future. Like I'm not those places. I'm only right here, right now. And the third thing that I would see is that God is with us in our suffering and our doubt, in our joys and our celebrations. He is with us right here, right now. And those things were present in every one of those songs that was in every one of those hymnals. So this is a long answer to your question, but when we got to gather this group of songwriters, uh, I shared that. And I said, what we're gonna do is we're gonna write songs that meet these criteria. Like these songs have to talk about these things because not because that's what makes a hymn, because that's what people need. Mm. These are the songs people need to sing. It's what their hearts are longing for. Um, we, need, we need to sing them and we need to hear our neighbors sing them to us. Um, and so uh, it was really fun then to get to kind of break uh, these songwriters into groups. And I went and I found really old texts that I'd never seen. I dug deep and found, uh, my goal was to, find, to hand somebody a lyric they'd never seen before. Here's an old hymn from the 1600s, the 1800s. Then here's a scripture that I think relates to that. And then here's a topic for you to write about. And so they could, they could do everything from just update this lyric or take one word from it or ignore it. But um, we're going to write about this theme. These are themes that have lasted. Like if this song has been handed down 200 years, somebody kept passing it down for a reason. So let's find that theme, whether the theme is grief or longing or hope or the future life or poverty or whatever the theme is like there's these things that we always wrestle with and so um we think kind of broke them down into themes and people wrote about those themes um we also had things like uh we did one day where we had it, the goal was to write songs that could be sung at funerals which are not funeral songs they're not dirges but we sing How Great Thou Art at funerals. We sing Great Is Thy Faithfulness at funerals, but we know those songs because we sing them outside. We sing them all the time. Um, but they carry the, the weight that can, that can uh, hold up to an event like that. Um, so then we also did things. One of my favorites is, um, usually we would write in like, well, my voice cracked. Usually we would write in like three, four hour chunks. That's kind of what songwriters typically do. Um, so one day we thought, 
um, you know, worship biblically is not a genre of music. It's an action. It's a lifestyle of giving up our rights, giving up our lives for each other. And we spend most of our time thinking about worship as a genre, particularly my job. My job is to make worship music. But worship is not music. Worship is one tiny element. Oh, sorry. Music is one tiny element of what worship is. So instead of writing for three or four hours, um, we took about two hours and we volunteered for a community, uh, a special needs ministry here in Nashville that need, had a bunch of work they needed to do, envelopes and stickers. And we just got all these big boxes of, of stuff that needed to be done. And so time that we should have been productive for the company, the company was spending a lot of money for all these people to be there. And we quote unquote wasted that time by serving this community that had a lot of need down the street. Then we had an hour left for our songwriting. Um, and so I gave everybody a scripture and the goal was write a song that paraphrases the scripture and you have to be able to, we have to be able to, um, it has to have a call and response piece to it. So there has to be a part where you have to have two people at least to sing this song. Um, Cause there are some really powerful songs in my childhood that had echoes, had call and response. Um, so, you have to write songs that only work with more than one person. And um, those are my, hands down my favorite songs that we wrote. They wrote them way faster. Hmm. They are not pop songs. They are in my head all the time, Andrew. Hmm. There are so many moments where I have needed to hear, this is love, this is love. Not that we love God, not that we love God. Oh, I'm going to cry. I can't even sing it. Um, or this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Father, help us love like Jesus. Mm. And dude, in my marriage, as a parent, with my neighbors, as a guy who works with a bunch of people who he loves but drive him crazy, like how many times have I had to, had, I've been so glad that I have a melody in my head that could just yeah. pop like that. This is, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Um, so it's been so fun uh, to be able to create, the to, to set the, I set a table mm. for these people to come in and create in a way um, that can hopefully serve generations to come. Yeah. I'm talking a lot. No, I get um, it. Yeah. I, I feel it. And, I, and the key word in that is tradition. There are some traditions that we should never get rid of. Hmm. I think the family table is one of those, hmm. and hymns are very much a part of that. Absolutely. And have been over time. Tell me about your family table, you know, in some of the traditions that you've had and you've held and hmm. you practice now, maybe when you were growing up and now with your own family. Yeah. Um, family table, that's a fun story or a fun, uh, fun question. Um, I'm from a small town in Illinois. It's just me and my brother and my parents um, in a little house. And um, now I've got three girls and a puppy, like you said. Um, my oldest just went to college. So our table looks different now. We've mm. had to like, you know, you have your place that everybody sits mm. and now there's like, uh, there's an empty seat. Yeah. Um, which has taken some getting used to. So yeah. we're, we're only a couple weeks into it and I I both love it and hate it. Mm. Um, uh, and yeah, I think, um, you know, what's great about the dinner table is that much like I was talking about this productive time is like, you're just not, you can't be productive at dinner. And we live in a culture that is so much about um, earning and growing and um, presenting. Um, 
And there's something about just taking time. You just have to be there and you're just telling stories and you just can't get stuff done. Like you're not working, you're not on Instagram, you're not watching TV, you're just there with somebody else. Um, and those are all of our favorite memories. Hmm. You know, nobody has great memories of watching TV. <laughs> You know, you never look back like, man, that was a great year. That year I watched Grey's Anatomy four times. Like nobody, that's not a great year. That was a, I I remember that night we got to sit and just have that long conversation. My kid did that crazy voice or told that zany story or in my house, because I have girls often dinner ends up in dance parties um, or Broadway sing-alongs. And um, it's pretty great, man. It's pretty great. Together at the table. Matt Redman was such an influential artist for me growing up because as a young worship leader in my youth group, Matt reminded me constantly that Jesus was the center of everything that we do. Stream Lamb of God, the new album from Matt Redman, anywhere you listen to music. Together at the table. Hi, Andrew Phillips here. We've put together a resource for you to take your podcast experience to the next level. You can now bring the heartwarming conversations from our podcast to your very own table. Introducing the Together at the Table PDF Listening Guide. This guide provides a deeper insight into our series and offers you the chance to host your very own Together at the Table gathering. Inside, you'll find all the thought-provoking questions we discuss in every episode. Use these questions to create meaningful conversations with your friends and family, just as we do on the podcast. It's a great way to connect and grow together. Download your copy now by going to integritymusic.com forward slash together at the table. We'd love you to share your responses with us. What insights did you gain and what conversations were sparked around your table? We've set up a voicemail so you can get in touch and tell us about your stories from your table. Call 1-607-96-TABLE. That's 1-607-968-2253. We look forward to sharing your stories and thoughts on a future episode. Thank you for being part of this beautiful community. Together at the table. Jesus often dined with various individuals that most people wouldn't dine with. Mm-hmm. Like he, he chose the the Gosh, marginalized, the people that, the truth. you know, the people that, that you wouldn't, wouldn't dance with you, maybe they, <laughs> they would be there, but they wouldn't dance. Um, do you do that in your life? Or do you bring people to your table in your family and in your work that, that are marginalized people that, that are forgotten? You know, I'd love to say that I do. Um, I'm in a phase right now of really looking through a lot of my life because I don't, I think a lot of ways and there are some ways in which the things that I say I care about and that I think about and that I talk about all the time, um, I've not actually made space to live them out very well. And that's one of those things. Okay. If I'm being really honest, no, I, I wish I, I wish that I had a great it. answer with no. wonderful, inspiring stories. Um, I do in my past, but I think in my present, 
I'm so busy working um, or being a dad that I often don't do the some of those things that I wish I did, that I know I value. How do you work on the atmosphere that Andrew brings to the table? You know, if he's invited as a guest or people are invited to his house, how do you work on who Andrew is at that table? Well, I think the way you work on who Andrew is at the table is working on who Andrew is outside the table, mm. who Andrew is on his own. Because um, that's who we really are. And uh, and that's definitely, I think I'm at an age where that's the project. Um, I've learned the limits of who I am. What There's some things I'm good at. Most of the things I know what I'm not good at. <laughs> Uh, I've continued to learn them, <laughs> mm. rarely in fun ways. Um, I was literally just down the hall with uh, a guy that works in this building, uh, an old friend. We caught up for a few minutes while we were, I was waiting to get in here, and that's what we talked about. Like, oh, we, we've both hit our limits of what we thought we could do, and now we have to figure out what do we do with those limits. Um, so for me to be the kind of person I want to be at the table with somebody um, – I say for a lot of years I was pretty good at turning on who I was supposed to be at that table, um, and then I realized that I really, really hated that guy because I wasn't him, mm. and I want to be the same person everywhere. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's what's interesting. Uh, I had a podcast for a little while, and I would interview people, and then I would edit the podcast. And I could look on my computer at the wave files of here's what they talked and here's where I talked. And I could see how much I talked. Uh, the, the conversation that was about me hearing from them. And then I would spend hours editing out all my dumb stuff to hear what they had to say. And it hit me about 10 episodes in like, yeah, I could do this in real life. I could just ask the question and shut up and listen not waiting for my answer, waiting for my response or figuring out my next great question, but just listen. Hmm. The question will show up when you need it to show up. And so that was actually a really profound moment for me. Yeah. Um, it just sounds so dumb, but it was like, I remember sitting at the kitchen table being like, <gasps> this would make me a better dad. This would make me a better husband. I could edit in real life. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that's a, a little example of what I mean. So. Good point. It's a really good point. What What do you think people say about you when you leave the table, or what oh, would gosh. you What would you like them to think about you when they leave the table? Well, there's two ways to answer that. There's the, um, you know, there's a part of me that walks away from every table going, oh, they probably think I'm an idiot, um, but I'm really trying to parse in my own life what of that voice is a lie and what of that voice is true. Um, you know, what I want is for people to feel like they were heard and they were seen and they were cared for. So I think that's what we all really, we all long to be known. Um, well, we long to be seen and recognized. I see that you exist. And then we long to be known. And then we long that, we long for someone to, once they know us, to love us. Um, and it's it's no good to love someone you don't know because you're not really accepting them. You know, that's that's sentimentality, as C.S. Lewis would say. Um, but to get to know someone and to love them, um, I know that's my deepest need, and I think that's most people's. Um, and so I would hope 
that as I grow, um, I hope that, that, that conversations that I'm having now, people would feel more seen, more known, and more loved than they would have with me 10 years ago. And I hope 10 years from now, they would feel more of that. Mm-hmm. If you could leave something on the table today for us, a gift. Oh, man. Yeah. That's fun. Or something that you don't want to keep. Something I don't want to keep. Yeah. Oh, that's different than a gift. I know. But you can choose which one. But if you, <laughs> if you, if you left that on the table, what would it be? Um, yeah. Well, if I'm going to leave it at the table for someone else, um, it would be a good book. It would be a book of good stories. Um, not a book, not a how-to or a self-help, but a, book, a good novel or good, good stories. That's what we really need. We don't need someone to tell us how to live our lives. We all know. Be nice to people. Don't steal. Um, but we we get inspired by stories. We're inspired by watching people make mistakes, learn, grow, fight past them, fight to do the right thing. Um, so that's what I'd, I'd try to leave somebody a good book. Okay. And you've done a lot of things. You're a talented man and you've done lots of things. But if you look back on time, and you've sat at lots of tables doing lots yeah. of things, brought lots of people together at that table. Um, is there a particular memory you recall from one particular table, a moment that will last with you forever? Oh, man. This, I mean, there's a million. Um, like I said, like you, you make the memories of, of those things. And I've had the gift of... Uh, music is a real uh, uniting career. Mm-hmm. Like, I get to spend a lot of time bored with my friends. <laughs> Uh, when you're traveling with a group of musicians, when you're uh, working on records, like you get, you get to spend time with people in a way that I don't when I've worked in seasons when I've worked in an office. Um, I will say one of my one of my favorite memories. Um, it's just what popped in my head. It's uh, there's a million of them, but uh, I used to have a studio at this place called the Art House that was um, Charlie Peacock, an old producer and writer, had had bought this old church building and turned it into like a home and a studio. And he worked out of there forever, made a bunch of amazing records there, Switchfoot, Civil Wars, his own records. Um, uh, They retired, he moved out of it. Um, And then some friends of mine took over that that place and I moved my studio in there and I worked out of there for four or five years. And that's where we um, did all of our Faithful writing camps, which is Faithful was this project that brought together a number of uh, women who were authors and songwriters, and they would write together based on the stories of, uh, initially based on the stories of women in the Bible, and then and then um, more recently based on uh, feminine imagery in the Psalms. And um, so the living room of this house is the sanctuary of an old church. So it's still shaped like a sanctuary, but it's decorated like a living room. It's a fascinating room. It's beautiful. And uh, there's this huge table. Um, what I love about it too is that there's a pew on one side of the table and then there are chairs the other side of the table. Um, so it really does feel like you're kind of in a church and kind of in somebody's house. And um, the women had, uh, the first time we gathered, the women had written all these songs. And then uh, for, for about two days, they've been writing. And then that second night, we all came in and a few friends came in and we had a big dinner. And then people sat kind of on the, uh, the hearth of the fireplace there and would play through the songs. And I was sitting at that table, you know, um, finishing dinner and, and these just amazing songs were, were being sung. And, and there was this song that um, Ellie Holcomb 
and Sarah McIntosh and Ann Voskamp had written together about the um, about Mary um, when she sees Jesus right after he um, returns. And the first person that Jesus sees um, is a woman. And in that culture, women's voices were not valued. And he doesn't just show up to her. A, he doesn't show up to the people in power. He shows up to this one lone woman and says, go and speak. And they sang this song called The Woman um, that eventually went on the record and Ellie and Amy Grant sang it together. And it's one of the most powerful songs I've ever heard in my life. Mm. Um, but getting to hear it the first time anybody'd sang it, and it was Ellie Holcomb just sitting on the floor and I think Ann Voskamp's holding the computer in front of her with the words and Ellie's just singing her heart out and just tears streaming down her face. And I'm standing, uh, uh, I'm standing there by the table and I've got my daughters with me. And I just, I'm like, I, you don't understand what you're getting to see right now. You're too young to grasp the gravity of this moment. This is one of the best moments of your life. Mm. You know, like this is a special, maybe not the best, but this is a very unique, special thing. Um, and to get to to get to experience that with my daughters who were like 14, 12 at the time, like they could kind of get it. Um, that's just an amazing memory. Beautiful story. If you could um, sit at the table and invite someone to be with you now who may have passed on sadly or, or is still around, who would mm. that be and why? Oh man, so many uh, wonderful people. Um, I've been deeply impacted by a guy named G.K. Chesterton. Hmm. Um, a lot of people have. I don't know if I would enjoy dinner with him. I feel like he m might be kind of a bully sometimes, but um, sure, just sure have been uh, really deeply moved by a lot of the things that he's written. Um, and so I would really love uh, to get to have sit at a table with him. I think that'd be fun. Uh, people who are with us now, um, uh, kind of N.T. Wright, um, uh, an Anglican from over in England as well, uh, that one of my friends has gotten to sit at the table with, um, maybe in the corner of this room, but I've never gotten to, um, who I know, he's taught me so much about theology, about the Bible, but I know he also loves great songwriting. So I'd love to be able to talk about Bob Dylan and the New Testament and explain to me what I don't understand about Revelation. I think that'd be a really great conversation. Yeah. would love to have that. Yeah. I guess the question I want to ask is if you sat with Jesus at a table, actually sat with Jesus, mm. what would you say? I have no idea. I don't know that I could say much. Um, I think I would want to start apologizing and I don't think he would let me. And then I think I'd probably just start bawling. Hmm. Honestly. Yeah. I know. Yeah. What would you like him to say to you? <laughs> I'd like him to say that he sees me and that he knows me and that he loves me. Andrew, you've talked a lot about um, the table and things that you uh, have done on that table and songwriting and, and hymns and bringing people together. 
there may be people listening to us today who are, are still hesitant about coming to the table to, to meet Jesus or even understand Jesus. But you've done a lot of thinking about that and you've heard a lot of songs that talk about that. What would you like to say to people who are hesitating about coming to the table with Jesus? Oh, man. Um, I feel like this is the next phase of my life is, is these kinds of conversations. Hmm. Um, I've been a part of a lot of people telling other people about Jesus. Um, and I feel like uh, I feel like we live in a culture, like when I said earlier, when when we talk about the old hymns and that it it matters that they come from a cultural context. Like um, the culture that we're in now is one where people are leaving the church in droves. Hmm. Um, and they're not leaving because of Jesus. They're leaving because of scandal or corruption or toxic leadership or, you know, politics have taken over. They're not leaving because of Jesus. And even when people are returning to the church, they, they're tending to go, uh, you know, statistically to more like liturgical, more older forms of uh, more older expressions of worship, um, which are maybe a little less marketing driven. And um, I think there's some sort of safety and uh, longing for those things that have stood the test of time, those things that have existed for generations. Um, all that to say what I would and do say to friends who are trying to figure out what do they think about Jesus is read the stories of Jesus from the Bible, see what he did. Um, they're both more beautiful and stranger than you will expect. Um, and then I would say, go for walks and try talking to Jesus. Maybe with some friends, maybe on your own. Um, but he will meet you. If you can go walk by water, I'd suggest that. He says, he says uh, you know, in the Psalms, you lead me beside still waters. And I've spent a lot of time seeking out water to go walk by um, because he said he was going to lead me there. So I assume he might meet me there. Um, that's what I would say. Hmm. Andrew, I can't think of a more wonderful way to end our conversation. And I want to thank you uh, for being at the table with us today. Oh, it's a real treat. Thanks for having me. Together at the table. Together at the Table is an Integrity Music podcast and hosted by Andrew Phillips. The show is produced by Lasting Media Group. Our executive producers are Andrew Phillips and Jason B. Jones. Special thanks to Callie Argent, Bruna Balduino, Olivia Buchanan, Madison France, Alicia St. Gillet, Robbie Moore, Matt Lott, Noah Newman, and John Schneck. Our theme music is Good God, Lo-Fi Version by Special Music from their upcoming album, Still Worship, Lo-Fi, Volume 2. To listen to more lo-fi and Christian instrumental music, search for Still Worship wherever you listen to music. To learn more about Together at the Table, as well as Integrity Music, visit IntegrityMusic.com. And to get more involved with the show, follow us on socials at TogetherTablePod. We've also set up a voicemail at 1-607-96-TABLE. That's 1-607-968-2253. 
If you have comments or questions, or you'd like to be a part of the show, please call and leave a message. Also, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps keep Together at the Table on the charts where people can find our show. Thank you once again for being with us Together at the Table. table.